Resurrection Sunday. Uh, what a beautiful thing to be gathered in Jesus' name uh, to celebrate, genuinely celebrate, the rising of our Lord and Saviour. But how good is it to be able to sing as we celebrate? What celebration is there without singing? Mm. Well, I pray uh, that we stand here still moved as we have reflected on the death of Jesus on Good Friday. Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf. As we stand here in that light, we need to realise that the cross was not all there was to this story. You see, until Jesus came back to life, there would be no real defeat of the enemy and the grave. And that's what we celebrate today. And no new life to come if Jesus were not to be raised from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, there would be no need for us to be here. If we were to read on in that passage from 1 Corinthians, we'd hear... Uh, St Paul uh, tell us that his preaching would be in vain and in fact our lives would be a lie. And in fact we would make a liar out of God because we would be preaching an untruth. So this morning I want us to reflect upon the truth that we can be sure that Jesus was raised from the dead. I want us to be confident in that. But also I'd love for us to be able to reflect on why Easter is just such good news for us. And I think there are two pivotal points uh, that make it clear that Easter is the best news that could possibly be for humanity. Before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word passed down to us as we prepare to listen to what it is that you may want to reveal to us this day. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit who prepares our hearts and minds and causes us uh, to understand. This morning, may our hearts and minds hear your word, be filled with hope and encouragement, or stirred to change, if that is your will. And that you and only you this day may be glorified. We do ask these things in the mighty name of your crucified and risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before I get to these two life-altering reasons uh, for you, let me just back up some of this first. On that resurrection morning, uh, some 2,021 years ago, two foundational truths helped testify to the reality of the resurrection. Being in the realm of fact rather than fake, they attest to the truth of the resurrection. I spent some time this week with different secondary school age groups looking at the evidence for the resurrection. Ironically, and perhaps this was a nice lead-in to um, my lessons, um, it happened to be April Fool's Day. So we spent some time trying to debunk some myths about the Easter story. And perhaps just look a little bit further beyond what we can most always see and try and gather some evidence for why the resurrection might actually be true. Of course, we believe it is. Uh, These young students were sceptical. They took an analytical and forensic view of the resurrection, but two key points um, help some of them actually just think maybe for the first time, maybe this is true. And it helped strengthen the faith of others who already believed. And I pray that reflecting on these truths might help us. The first was the idea of the empty tomb, the greatest miracle in human history. The tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women. 
a group of women on the Sunday following the crucifixion. One of the pieces of evidence we have for the reality of the resurrection is not just the empty tomb, and Jesus is obviously not there, but also the fact that the women were the ones who found it. You see, if this were a hoax, like an April Fool's Day prank, uh, the planners would never have sent women. They would never have sent women because in Roman thought, in Roman society, the testimony of a woman was not the same as a man. We know that not to be true and right for us today, but back then, Roman society considered the witness of a woman to be a false witness, not reliable. In Jewish thought, in their um, scriptures actually, it says any evidence which a woman gives is not valid. There's a solicitor sitting in this room and she just would not have that. But back then, truth. If it were planned, they would not, they would have certainly sent men to have a credible story. But God chose women to find the empty too. Jesus' resurrection proved that he really was who he claimed to be. It validated his identity. In fact, a lot of people have claimed to be God. I've met a couple. But only one proved it by bringing himself back to life and walking around Jerusalem for 40 days before he went back to heaven. That means we can trust his promises. In fact, not a, um, non-Christian historians still attest to the fact that this man Jesus was walking around after. It's why 2.3 billion Christian believers are celebrating his resurrection this week. It's why history is splitting the BC and AD. The resurrection is the defining pivotal point in history and everything else is dated in relation to it. Even our birthdays. Evidence piece number one. The second greatest miracle in human history. What about the billions of fearless followers? Consider the early ones in particular. What about the sudden, sudden change in attitude and amazing transformation in the lives who, of those who follow Jesus? All within about 72 hours. The passage we've heard already is the starting point where Jesus appears uh, to these first people, his disciples. As a result of seeing the resurrected Christ, these disciples gave their lives and turned the world upside down within a few years. The disciples all died when they could have recanted their stories of personal encounters with Jesus after his death and resurrection. Most of them died a death similar to his. Some were hung on a tree. Others burnt. They could have simply said that the resurrection uh, was all made up. But they were willing to die for what they had seen with their own eyes. Now we've seen many people die for a good cause. A few weeks time we're going to um, remember Anzac Day of course. But I'm not aware of anyone giving their life for a known lie, something they knew to be an untruth, and willingly gave up their life for it. That to me speaks to the truth of the resurrection, the eyewitness account. You see, before we have a look at um, the great benefits, um, the great gift of Easter, Jesus' resurrection, 
We need to be convinced of the truth of the event. And these two snippets, these two pieces of evidence in my book, help give me assurance that the resurrection is true. Perhaps a dangerous thing to say in some parts of the world, but it's true. So convinced of the truth of the resurrection, what are those two pivotal reasons why Easter is good news for us? Good news for the broken. Well, reason number one is that the resurrection means we have forgiveness from God and an ultimate destination with God. Look with me at verses 3 and 4 from this passage we have just seen. I'm sure you can see that Paul clearly states the reason for the death of Christ is our sin. That decision by our first parents, Adam and Eve, ushered us from God's presence. It was separation between us and God because of our sin. I think that's easy to understand when we understand that sin is actually not always just the the bad things we do or the good things that we don't do. It's actually just our inner attitude to want to make ourselves the kings of our own lives and pretend that God doesn't exist. That's sin. We make ourselves our own kings of our own lives. But Jesus' death on the cross, taking the punishment for that sin upon his own shoulders, restores our relationship with God because we stand forgiven. All of Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection were foretold hundreds and in some cases thousands of years before it actually happened. We see that from the passage from Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we have been healed. The reason he died was for you to have the curse of sin lifted. The curse of sin really is the guilt that we carry upon our shoulders for not installing God as the king of our lives. But the good news for us is that Jesus has literally paid the price for us. A simple transaction. A little bit like me putting kids on detention after school and then in a random act of extreme kindness, I turn up and do their detention for them and set them free home. As simple as that. The math would go like this. One cross, three nails, four given. Plain and simple. So the real question for us, perhaps those of us who are sitting here going, yes, that's truth, is how does that actually change the way we live? I mean, if we accept that as truth and we understand, the real question for us is how do we live in light of that truth? Well, firstly, it wouldn't be very loving of me at all not to first ask you to check whether that is truth for you in your life. Have you installed Jesus as the king of your life? Have you taken that crown off your own head, placed it on Jesus and made him the king of your life? Is that you? I'm afraid there are many who call themselves Christians in this world, 
but who have never really and truly grabbed hold of the forgiveness and peace on offer because they have not truly submitted themselves to the crucified and risen Lord. It's wealth. It's worth self-reflection to ask yourself that question. To be unencumbered and free. To be able to walk in freedom knowing that we stand as forgiven people. If that is a truth and a gift that you already own, then is it characterising the way that you live today? Do you live, breathe and move around as a forgiven person? One who has been free. Like the student who walks free because I turned up and did their detention for them, they should be feeling pretty light about themselves. Are you feeling God's peace? If not, then perhaps this is the perfect time to unburden yourself by confessing it to God and asking him to help you walk in that peace that forgiveness brings. What a great gift. What an encouragement. By being raised to new life, Jesus assures our final destination into eternity. Because we know what our destination is, means we can actually walk differently today. We don't have to carry around our big burdens. We also know that death, earthly death, isn't the end of the story. We are children of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Signed and sealed on this Resurrection Sunday. That means we are children of the King. Just wonder who might need a reminder of that. You are royalty. Because you are a child of the King. Being royalty, that means you have favour. You actually literally walk around differently to most others. You have God's favour. Live accordingly. Secondly, the resurrection means that we can be in relationship with God. As we look at verses 5 to 8, I want you to notice the types of people that Jesus actually came to, that he appeared to. They can be grouped into categories. This unfolded as my week unfolded and shared it with some kids. These appearances happened over a 40-day period of time. We learn from other parts of Scripture. Now, Paul has previously stated that the result of our sin was a lost relationship with God. Our relationship is restored when we are forgiven. So the second gift hangs on the first one. Being forgiven means that we're now in right relationship with God. When we are in relationship with somebody, they are close to us, they are near to us. Not separate and distant. This is such a basic and foundational truth that just sometimes gets lost on us. God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants for you to feel that he is near. And so he has appeared to you when you can see these truths. Have a closer look at the five groups of people that Jesus came to. You see, Jesus appeared to the twelve who gave their lives for the truth of his resurrection, referred to earlier. But he also appeared to all groups of people. Jesus first appears to the betrayer. 
We think of um, Peter. Peter walked with Jesus as a close follower, but things got heavy and Jesus was arrested. He denied him three times. So Jesus appears to those who might once have had a relationship with Jesus, but when the going gets tough, when life gets tough, they make the decision to walk away or to deny Jesus. Jesus appears to those people. Is there anyone sitting here who might once have been a believer, but when the going got tough, you kind of felt yourself veering away a bit? Jesus appears to you because he loves you. When we respond, Jesus is near. Jesus also appears to the disheartened. There's probably most of the disciples, if not all of the disciples, actually. This band of brothers thought they were sure they knew what God was going to do. Surely God was going to rescue Jesus before he was crucified. The plan didn't quite work out the way that the disciples thought that it might. I don't think they actually got what Jesus was going to go through with. So they were disheartened and they walked away for a period of time perhaps. Who knows what they might have been thinking on that Saturday. Out of love, Jesus appeared to them. Is that you? Jesus appears and comes to you. Perhaps included in that 500 mentioned in that Bible passage, many people had crowded around to see if Jesus had actually resurrected. Maybe they were seeking. They're not denying the truth, but they just weren't, just weren't sure. Does that characterise your thinking, where you might be at at the moment? Well, Jesus appears to you, and he wants to be near. And then, of course, there was the outright denial, wasn't there, Paul? We read about what he's thinking. Saul was a powerful force against Jesus in the early days of the church. He denied that Jesus was a Messiah, and, the God, and that God had sent him. He was outright aggressive towards the church. He worked hard to stop this growing infestation of believers in the first century until Jesus appeared to him. Is that you? Is that somebody who you know? Well, Jesus appears in love to meet the denier because he loves you. The Bible is clear about God's love for you. In fact, the whole of the scriptures from start to finish is about God's love for you. So that's the second great gift of Easter, isn't it? A restored relationship with God. The straight up application of that point really is, does that change the way that you live? To know that God is near. God has appeared to you. I think firstly then we can be confident that we are never, ever 
alone. Ever. When we believe the truth of the resurrection. It means that we don't have to ever do, face or overcome anything without God. His spirit lives in us, speaking truths, guiding and consoling. I don't know who you are, but with this many gathered, it's pretty, I can be pretty confident that some among us may at times, maybe in this season of life right now, might feel like you are alone. Jesus has appeared to you. Forgiveness offered. When it's accepted, you are in such close relationship with God. In fact, he has appeared to you, but he lives inside of you. You are not alone. Not for a second. So again, I encourage you, live your life accordingly. Forgiveness is yours. Peace and freedom are yours. Because of it, your relationship with God is restored. And God is near. God is close. And you are never alone. Maybe you're here this morning just to be reminded of that. Take hold of a Christian and live your life accordingly. Child of God, walk with these gifts of yours. Be encouraged. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your provision for us, that you would love us so much, that you would send us your dear son to die for us and to be raised again to new life so that we can be made clean and friends with you. We boldly ask that you would move among us and stir us to turn towards you and to live in light of these truths, to lean on you, to look forward to our destination of eternity with you. Direct us to what it is that you would have us do in response to your great love, even though it might be difficult. We do ask this in the precious name of our mighty Saviour Jesus. Amen.